Tonight, I want us to get back to our series on major messages from the minor prophets. Tonight's prophet is Habakkuk. And so we invite your attention to the book of Habakkuk. We're uh, focusing primarily on Habakkuk chapter 3. But in order to understand what goes on in chapter 3, you really need to review briefly what goes on in chapters 1 and 2. Um, Habakkuk wrote his prophecy sometime in the interval between the fall of Nineveh, which took place around the year 612 BC, and the fall of Jerusalem, which took place in the year 586 BC, somewhere in that 25, 26 year span, Habakkuk writes his prophecy. It is most likely, most Bible scholars believe that Habakkuk grew up during the reign of King Josiah, who was considered to be the last good king of Judah. Uh, Josiah uh, sought to undo many of the wrongs, many of the moral lapses that took place from his father and his grandfather. But he died as a young man, a young king. And when he died, most of his reforms died with him. Uh, the people were followed, were led by corrupt kings thereafter, and it became clear that Judah was going to fall into a terrible path. These were dark days for Judah, and Habakkuk writes much like uh, other prophets have written, not so much dealing with the message. Uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time with Jonah because Jonah didn't really contain a message from the prophet to the people. Uh, Habakkuk, similarly, doesn't contain so much a message from the prophet through God or from God through the prophet to the people as much as it deals with the prophet's relationship with God. And I think that there are times that we can learn from that because it helps us to understand that even though we are servants of God, it doesn't mean that we always like what God does. It doesn't mean that we always agree with God. And sometimes I think that we feel forced to say that we like what God is doing because he's God. And, and we feel like it would be wrong and that, that we're out of place to say to God, I don't like what you're doing. Let, let, let's be clear. You, you would be wrong to tell God he doesn't know what he's doing. But it's okay for you to say, I don't like what, you, what you're doing. It's okay to acknowledge the fact, yeah, 
And, and so when, when you don't say it, you're lying. Uh, you're lying to him, and you're lying to yourself. He knows. So we, we want to focus on Habakkuk 3, which deals with his response to God's response to his complaint. But you need to read the complaint before you get to that. So if you look at the first chapter, look at the first, well, the second, third, and fourth verses. You see a portion of his complaint to God. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell, help, murder, police, before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face day after day? Anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights all over the place. Law and order fall to pieces. Justice is a joke. The wicked have the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its head. The essence of the prophet's protest is simply this. I have persisted in urging you to deal with the sins of this, your people, and you have been strangely silent. You haven't done anything that I asked you to do. It's like I'm talking and you're not listening. And so I'm left to, 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 to ask certain questions. I'm left to ask, first of all, do you care? Do you really care about what goes on down here? And let's be honest, there are times when we deal with what is going on in our lives and in the world around us, and we're left asking the same question. God, do you really care? Are you really interested in what we are dealing with? Uh, when, when I'm sick and I cry out for relief from my pain and the pain seems to get worse instead of get better. Do you really care? After all, you, you are the creator of the entire universe. And I'm just one speck on a speck in the universe that you created. And so sometimes I have to ask myself, do you really care? Is God more than pervasive? Is God personal? It's a question that, 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 that sometimes lingers with us. Uh, and then the second question that, that, that he asks is, if you're just, why is there no justice? If you are a God of justice, if you are a God of fairness, if you are a God of ultimate equality, then how come there's no one justice taking place in your world? How is it that evil people prosper and good people suffer? How is it that evil people prevail even when they expand and build upon their evil and good people languish and struggle and strain? Well, look at verse 5 of chapter one. Look around at the godless nations. Look long and hard. Brace yourself 
for a shock. Something's about to take place, and you're going to find it hard to believe. I'm about to raise up Babylonians to punish you. Babylonians, fierce and ferocious, world-conquering Babylon, grabbing up nations right and left, a dreadful and terrible people, making up its own rules as it goes. Their horses run like the wind, attack like bloodthirsty wolves. A stampede of galloping horses thunders out of nowhere. They descend like vultures circling in on carrion. They're out to kill. Death is on their minds. They collect victims like squirrels gathering nuts. They mock kings, poke fun at generals, spit on forts, and leave them in the dust. They'll all be blown away by the wind. Brazen sin they call strength their God. So what is God's response to Habakkuk's complaint? Habakkuk thinks he has a good argument. God, do you care? God, your people are suffering. God, what's going on, in my opinion, is not right. And if you were just, then you would adjust what you're doing to meet what I'm saying to you. And God says, not only am I just, not only am I fair, but it's going to get worse before it gets any better. He says, you're going to find it hard to believe, but I'm going to use people who don't even worship me, who don't even pray to me, who don't even think about me, who have made up gods of their own. I'm going to use them to punish you. God says something else to Habakkuk in this. He says, the problem, Habakkuk, the problem that you're dealing with right now, is not that I'm doing nothing, which is what you've accused me of, doing nothing. That's not the problem. The problem is what I am doing is so far beyond your ability to understand that you think that what I'm doing is wrong. Well, let me ask you, the, the, the whole point of this series has been for us to draw pragmatic, practical points that relate to our lives. Have you ever thought God doesn't know what he's doing? Have you ever questioned how God responds to our cries for help? You know, I believe in, in Christian education. I believe in the Sunday school. I believe in the teaching of the Bible as best we can. But I do have a fear that we suffer from a Sunday school mentality in the church. Now, somebody ought to ask me, what does that mean? What, what it means is we suffer from an idea that life is black and white. That, that, that's pretty much what, what we get through the Sunday school lessons, that life is black and white, that black is evil and white is good and that evil does take place, but God will prevail over evil. What do you do when God is the one who allows the evil to happen? You don't learn that in Sunday school. But you do learn it in life. We've, we, 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 we've come across this problem a couple of times before. 
where God allows things to happen and we have to grapple with the reality that if God is God, then there's nothing that happens that's beyond his control. So if evil takes place, it takes place because God permits it. Now, I'm, I am not suggesting that God causes evil. I am suggesting that God permits evil. Evil comes from you. Look how quiet it got when I said that. But evil comes from you. Evil comes from me. Evil comes from our desire to have our way instead of doing what God would have us to do. Well, that's a part of our free moral agency. That's a part of what God did when he made us. God, God created man different from the rest of creation. And part of that difference is that we are made in his image. And being made in that image means that we have sovereignty. We get to choose. We know what's right. Paul says, when I would do good, evil is present on every hand. Paul says, I know what's right, but I choose not to do it. I, cho I choose to do something else. Well, when you choose to do the something else, and then evil results from the evil that you have done, you don't get to turn around and look at God and say, why did you let that happen? What you have to acknowledge is God, in establishing his world, allows for our sovereignty, and our sovereignty has both benefits and consequences. So what God essentially says to Habakkuk is, it's not that I'm not working, it's that I'm working in a way that you don't agree with. I'm working in a way that you don't like. But the fact that you don't like it doesn't change the fact that this is me working. And what we have to learn, what we have to draw from this is that God sometimes in our lives allows us to reap what we sow. You ought to be grateful that it's just sometimes. Instead of complaining about the sometimes when it happens, what you ought to be grateful for is that it's just sometimes. Because the truth of the matter is, we do evil all the time. Somebody got up this morning, made themselves the promise, I'm not going to do what I know I shouldn't do. And then you went on and did it anyway. And what you want God to do is cover it up. You know, we, we praise God for the fact that he covers our sin and that he, he doesn't deal with us according to our sin. That's what the psalmist says. The truth of the matter is sometimes God does deal with us according to our sin. Sometimes he's, he allows us, well, let, let me take that back. He doesn't deal with us according to our sin because if he did, we wouldn't be here. But he does give us peeks into what life would be like if he took his hand completely off of us. Well, the next question that, that needs to be asked is, why would God do that? You know, if, if he's a good God and, 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 and he loves us and he cares about us, then why would he allow us to deal with some of these hurts? 
The design is correction. The goal is to make us better. The goal is not to punish. I, 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 I get troubled by the fact that there are people who have an attitude, have a belief about God, that God is punitive. That God somehow derives pleasure out of our pain. When the truth of the matter is, God does not derive pleasure out of our pain, but God does allow our pain in order for us to get better. And so it's important that we recognize that the pain comes because we allowed it. We, we did it. We brought it on ourselves. But God allows, it, allows us to feel it so that hopefully, as a result, we will get better. The point is to draw us back to him, to draw us closer to him. So Habakkuk makes the complaint, and God responds. Chapter 2 deals back and forth again with Habakkuk making a second complaint and God responding. I wanted us to focus on chapter 3. And we're going to feel, we're going to deal with this and we're going to get out of here. We're going to get out of here early. I'm not feeling too well tonight, so we're going we're gonna to finish early. A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk with orchestra. God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy. Habakkuk says, I get the message. No longer does he protest against God. No longer does he blame God. No longer does he say God is inactive. What he does do is he praises God for what he has done. And he seeks God's mercy for what they must now endure. Have you ever... Well, I don't know, most of y'all are of the age where y'all caught whippings. Y'all caught whippings, right? I know, I, know, I know these days people don't whip their children. They do time out and other, and other stuff. But if you've ever caught a whipping, a whipping hurts. Doesn't matter what they whip you with, it hurts. While you're in the midst of being whipped, I don't, well, I won't speak for you. While I was in the midst of being whipped, I thought about two things. I thought about what I did to cause it to happen. And I was hoping that my mama would get tired before it started to hurt real, real bad. Because she would talk to you while she whipped you. And that, that was the worst thing in the world. Why'd you do that? Huh, 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 huh. Every home was a lick. Why, 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 why'd you do that? You gonna do it again? Huh? You gonna do it again? Huh, huh, huh. Every home was a lick. And so what I was hoping was that she'd run out of hugs and she'd get tired. And the whipping would stop. What does that have to do with what I'm talking about? Habakkuk acknowledges 
we've done wrong. We're the reason why this pain has come upon us. But he says, as you bring judgment, remember mercy. In other words, you have to treat us a certain way because of what we've done. But my hope is that you won't treat us fully for what we've done. The desire of every Christian ought to be mercy from God. The desire of every Christian should be that God would, would treat us with the kind of love that our parents treated us with. Correct us when we're wrong. Help us to get right. Because if parents really loved you, they weren't whipping you because they just wanted to hear you yell and scream. They were trying to teach you right from wrong. But in the midst of that, what you also wanted was mercy. God's on his way again, retracing the old salvation route, coming up from the south through Teman, the holy one from Mount Paran. Skies are blazing with his splendor. His praise is sounding through the earth. His cloud brightness like dawn, exploding, spreading, forked lightning shooting from his hand. What power hidden in that fist. He goes on and on, and he talks about the salvation route that God is going to take, that God is going to allow this to happen, but that in its happening, we will be made better as a result. Then he recognizes that even though Babylon is the, inst is the instrument by which God is going to correct man, Babylon itself will have to deal with punish, excuse me, punishment from God because of what they have done to God's people. In other words, what Habakkuk acknowledges is that God still loves them even in spite of the pain that he allows them to feel. And even though he's using one people as an instrument of that pain, those people are going to have to deal with God themselves for the evil that they have brought upon themselves. What evil is this? Well, they refused to accept who God was. And that tells us something important, too. It tells us, first of all, that God is God over all people, whether or not they worship him. Babylonians were not worshipers of God, but God was still in charge of them, and in fact, using them as instruments in his hand to bring about the punishment that he was bringing on his people. But second, that God requires justice of all people. If God is God of all people, then he requires justice from all people, even from those who do not worship him. And so Habakkuk acknowledges that justice will come from God. When I heard it, I'm skipping down to verse 16. When I heard it, my stomach did flips. I stammered and stuttered. My bones turned to water. I staggered and stumbled. I sit back and wait for the doomsday to descend on our attackers. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, Though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, 
I'm singing joyful praise to God. Do you hear that? In spite of the fact that we've lost everything, I'm singing joyful praise to God. What allows him to do that? Habakkuk recognizes that because God is in charge, no matter how bad things may be, everything will ultimately be all right. That's a message of hope for us. Because as we're sitting here tonight, I don't know what you're going through, but everybody in here is going through something. Everybody in here is going through something. And the something that you're going through is hurtful and painful. And, and, and sometimes it seems like it's not going to end. But when you learn to stop relying on stuff and start relying on the one who provides for us, the one who makes the stuff possible, it shifts our thinking. Cherry trees, not blossoming. Strawberries, not ripening. He's talking about economic and agricultural calamity. Remember, back in this time, wealth was often measured by what you owned, by what you possessed, by what you had. So this is more than just an agricultural problem. This is more than just a hunger problem. This is an economics problem. Total collapse of everything that people have known. And yet he says, I'm all right, because I know that God still has this world in his hands. And I know that just as God brought me to this, God is going to ultimately bring me through this. And if he brings me through this, I'll be better coming out than I was going in. Uh, the, the ultimate lesson from Habakkuk is that God is in control of all of life. And even when the bottom falls out of our lives, we still have reason to praise God because he's in charge. Let's stand together, please. Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good night.